Good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you all, and a special welcome to those who are joining us on uh, line this morning. Uh, we are continuing the Shalom uh, project, as Colton mentioned, and this is a—it's kind of a four-week, se- four-series, four-part series. Uh, that's under one big umbrella that we're calling the Shalom Project. So the first series that we did is talking about Shalom with God, uh, and each of them is going to be about three weeks, and so we're concluding uh, that first one uh, this morning. It comes out of uh, our vision statement, which is uh, Shalom Breakers Becoming Shalom Makers. And our mission statement, uh, which we say during that hosting time every Sunday, which uh, Sun Westers know really, really well, is to guide all people into a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, that is what we're about. That's uh, everything we do, every energy, every budget, every resource that we have is actually intended to go towards that purpose of seeing people follow Jesus with their whole lives. Uh, if that were to happen, if people were to follow Jesus, what would the result of that be? What would we see? Uh, and so we've articulated that uh, with these uh, five words, shalom breakers, becoming shalom makers. And although it's very uh, simple, uh, it is quite, uh, uh, it's quite deep in terms of what the implications of that statement and what that, uh, what that means. And because shalom is not an English word, it's a Hebrew word, uh, it does take some time for us to discover uh, the layers of that, uh, of that word. Uh, we have been focusing on this word becoming, uh, really, in this series, uh, because becoming, uh, at the heart of becoming is worship, uh, that we become like that which we worship, and that's what we talked about on week one. Uh, and so uh, shalom is being in right relationship uh, with God, uh, with ourselves, understanding our identity, with others, uh, with the world around us. And so we, should, we could picture shalom like this. Uh, it's four-part harmony. It's four, uh, it's four levels of unity, uh, everybody having uh, everything in its proper place the way it was intended to be. And this is the way God created it to be. In the very beginning when God created us, when he created the world, uh, when, when uh, he brought everything into existence. There was a certain order of things. There was a certain harmony of things. And whether you're someone of faith or not, uh, you know, right now we live in a world where this is quite obvious, where people that don't even have faith look around and say something isn't right in the world. Uh, and that assumption that something isn't right basically assumes a level of, uh, of belief, of faith, that there is a way things ought to be. And so for for people that don't even profess to have a particular faith, there is actually a human faith that they're born with a sense of something's not right, something is out of place, something's out of order. Things need to be put back into order. Things need to be made right. Uh, the Christian message is that because of Jesus uh, and what he has done, he actually invites us uh, to be in right relationship with him. Uh, when, we become, when we go back to having a right relationship with God, it impacts all of these other relationships. And so we could see sin, which is really uh, the breaking of shalom, the breaking of relationship. Uh, sin, by definition, is, is anything that is shalom uh, breaking. And so sin, uh, in the very beginning, uh, is the word that we used to describe what Adam and Eve did and what humanity has been doing ever since when we said, uh, God, I don't want to do things your way. I'm going to choose to do it my own way. Because we were made in God's image, we were made with a certain authority, which means we could have a certain impact on the world around us. Our decisions have an impact for good or for worse. We were created to create, and we, we as humans all have the ability to create a world around us uh, that looks more like heaven or looks more like hell, looks more like harmony or looks more like disunity. God's given us, uh, because he loves us and he's given us a choice to choose to love him back, to walk in relationship with him, or to choose to do things our own way. In the very beginning of the uh, scripture, 
we see that Adam and Eve chose to do things their own way, and because of that, the impact throughout the generations has been uh, generation after generation choosing to do things their own way. But God always calling a people back to himself, individuals, nations, groups, back to himself. And so when we respond to that call and our relationship is made right with God, it actually has an implication not just on our relationship with God, but on the other relationships. So that's, uh, you know, in a nutshell, where we've been going in this series, and we're focusing on our relationship with God. And we could talk about a lot of things about what that looks like, how we apply that, how we understand that, but we've chosen to spend these three weeks talking about worship. Because worship is actually our response to God to, to put him back into the place of, of being king, of being Lord, of being God, and recognizing our place in the order of things, that we are underneath God, that we bow to God, that, that we were created to worship him. And, and as we worship him, we actually become most fully who we were created to be. As we worship him, it actually changes our identity. As we worship him, it changes the community and the relationships. And as people worship God, it actually has an impact on the entire world. And so worship is our response to God, recognizing who God is, who we are, and giving our lives uh, to God. And at SunWest, and like many churches, we spend a lot of time in worship as we gather together, uh, and we sing songs, we're going to talk about that in a minute, uh, but we, we do this time of worship together, and that's an uplifting, edifying time. Um, it's always a highlight for me during my week, but I think something that we could grow in as a family, as a faith community, is learning what it means to be worshipers, not just on a Sunday morning, uh, but, on, uh, but during the other six days a week as well. Worship is something that we do. It's not just something that we do. Being a worshiper is who we are. We were created to be worshipers, created to worship God with our whole being. And so first two weeks, just quick recap. You can go back and rewatch them online if you missed them. But week one, we talked about uh, that we were creating God's image. Like I said, we become like God as we worship God because we become like that which we worship. You can't not worship something. That's what the Bible calls idolatry. And so people worship all sorts of things, their careers, other people, uh, you know, certain uh, objects, finances, whatever it might be, we, get, we give our lives and our whole beings to something. And as we do that, it shapes who we become. And God says uh, he wants to be the center of our world. And as we make him center, we become more like him. Uh, last week, uh, which was a lot of information, I heard some people say, man, that was a lot of content last week. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, this week, I promise, will be more practical. But last week, basically what we did is we, we walked through Scripture. We did, this, uh, we did the scope from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, looking at uh, the concept of temple and how the, God created the world really to be his temple, to be his resting place, to be his dwelling place. And as we walk through uh, the gospel story, the good news story, we see that God's presence uh, moves into phys from physical temples into the person of Jesus. And then as we become followers of Jesus, he promises to give us his Holy Spirit and we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And then the end of the story, uh, in, in Revelation, we see that the whole world, again, is the temple and the dwelling place of God. But we're in this interesting place as followers of Jesus between Jesus' first coming and a second coming where we actually host the presence of God in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Because of that, Everything we do has implications. The way we behave, the way that we speak, we are to take seriously the privilege and the honor of being temples of the Holy Spirit. The places where God would choose to dwell, the places where God would choose to work. And because of that, 
We don't just worship God in our hearts. Uh, the title of the message this morning is More Than Heart Posture. Sometimes we think of worship as, as an intellectual or an emotional or a spiritual thing, and it's, it's true, but worship actually has an implication for how we physically live, for what we do with our bodies, for what we say with our words. All of these things are acts of worship. In fact, Jesus, uh, when he was asked about what the greatest commandment was in the Bible, he said to love the Lord your God with all your what? And with all your, and with all your mind. Sorry, I took it out of me. And all your what? <laughs> mind. And all your strength. So Jesus is saying the greatest commandment is actually to love God with your whole being. This encompasses everything, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And often in our world, in the Western world, we think about faith as this intellectual thing. You believe the right things. What Jesus is saying, it's not actually just about belief. It's not just about your mind. It's about your heart, your affections. It's about your soul, your entire being. It's about your strength, the physicality of who you are, that, that everything you are, whatever it means to be human in, in, in every aspect of being human is actually intended and created to love God, to respond to God in love and worship. And so I want to look at three actions of worship this morning, three things that we actually do uh, that, that we have seen historically have been a part of what it means for followers of Jesus to worship, ways that followers of Jesus historically love God with more than just their heart. We're going to look at the first two very briefly, and then we're going to spend more time on the third one. Sound good? All right, we got a couple of you with me. Fantastic. Uh, the first one is singing and music. Uh, so every Sunday you come in, we spend time singing and doing music. And it's, when you think about it, it's kind of odd. Like, why do we do that? You know, why, do, why does the church get together and sing songs every single week? Uh, why do we assume that we should sing? Why do we assume that this should happen as, as individuals come together into a corporate gathering? I remember in grade uh, nine, uh, I was, you know, I could strum a few chords on the guitar. I'd been playing guitar for a couple of years by the time I was in grade nine. And the, uh, the worship leader in our youth group was, uh, was in, in grade 12. And so I was told in grade nine that I was the future worship leader of the youth group uh, by default because I was the only one left that knew how to play guitar. And so when he graduated, the assumption was there had to be someone to fill his shoes. And so I was kind of thrown into the mix. Uh, grade 10, I started leading worship in my, in my youth group. And from that point on, for the next decade, I had led uh, quite a bit of worship in my life. And I would spend significant time leading worship, uh, leading people in singing, strumming my guitar. At first, I did it at a duty as a grade tenor. Uh, but sl- slowly over time, it started to take on more meaning for me. So why did... Why did we assume, why did my youth leaders assume that, you know, if somebody couldn't play an instrument, we had to find the next person to play it? How, how are we going to continue worshiping uh, generation after generation? Why was that important to think about? Why do we sing? Well, I, I want to suggest a couple of reasons we sing. Why we, we do that every time we gather. First, uh, when we gather together, corporate, corporate songs unify us. Corporate songs unify us. I mean, some church traditions, they do a lot of chanting, um, and uh, it just, I mean, it works for them. You know, everybody finds corporate ways to, uh, to unify. Uh, I find chanting just feels really freaky to me, but I, I you know, I, I, I trust that is great. Uh, but, you know, in our tradition, in our practice, we sing songs, but what, but what it does, chanting does, what singing does, it actually brings 
the same lyrics, the same words to a gathering. There's something powerful when we confess the same things together, when we declare the same things together. And so singing songs actually acts as a way of unifying us behind a common object of our worship, behind a common message. It begins to shape us as a community as week after week we sing these songs together and they take a hold of our hearts. The lyrics kind of embed themselves in us because we repeat it. Uh, Repetition is a beautiful thing because repetition, those things become habits and habits over time they begin to shape us. And so as we gather together in our families, as a community, as individuals, we are being shaped into the likeness of God together because we are unifying, uh, we have a unifying voice, a unifying message that that we're rallying around. Uh, And so uh, that's great, you know, saying the same words together, but why do we add music? Why, you know, why do you have the drums and the electric guitars and, uh, you know, everybody has a preference for for music, Um, what what your favorite kind of music is. Uh, You know, some of you guys are even crazy enough to say country is your favorite kind of music, and I just... I still don't understand it. Um, you know, every time I get in my truck, I can tell my wife has been in there because it goes on to the country station. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, I was, I was going to say some country. I couldn't even think of a country artist in the spur of a moment. There you go. Um, but we all have preferences for music style. But there is something powerful when we come together in uh, worship through song because melodies say things that our words can't express. Melodies say things that our words can't express. You know, if you were to, to just read the lyrics of our songs, it would have a certain effect, but then you put uh, a song, or you put those lyrics to a certain song, to a certain chord pattern, to a certain melody, and all of a sudden you can feel it, you can sense it, that it's actually touching your being, yourself, your soul, at a, at a deep, deeper level. Because the, lur- the words are just on one level. They're the things that we can think of, but there's things that our spirit longs for that we want to communicate, that we don't always have the words to communicate. And when you add music to it, it actually gives another form of expression. You know, as, as someone who, who plays music, I, I can tell you that some of my, uh, my most powerful prayer times that I've had just between me and the Lord are when I'm sitting playing my guitar, I'm not speaking a single thing. Because somehow I can, I can express something different with a melody, with, with a sound. More than words, you can express how you feel in a different kind of way. And so we take these two elements, we have words that unify us, that shape us, and then we bring them together with music that can speak things for us that we can, sometimes can articulate on our own. Melody is more than just the words. We begin to communicate things we don't have words for. Uh, in Ephesians, uh, and Paul is talking about singing and the importance of singing. And Paul references this a number of times in his letters. But here's one example. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, which we talked about last week. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a number of things going on in this short passage. The first one is we often think about uh, singing songs to God. We think very individualistic. But Paul is very clear that when we come together to sing songs, we're singing songs in two directions. The first one is we're singing songs to one another. We often don't think about that. We often think of our, our singing songs in one direction to God. But when you sing, it actually builds up the community around you. 
When you sing, it blesses people around you. I know, uh, you might be thinking, have you heard Pastor Colton sing? It's, it doesn't, doesn't bless anybody. No, no, no. It's true. Regardless of how great your voice is, it, it actually doesn't matter. Uh, God is more concerned with, the, with our worship from our hearts, but we express it through our voices. And when you hold back, when you choose not to sing, you are actually robbing the community of a gift. You're actually, we're robbing one another when we choose to be silent. So Paul says to, to sing to one another. Because sometimes, let's be honest, when we show up at church, some of us don't feel like singing. Whatever's going on in your world, in your life, you, don't, you, you, don't, you show up and you don't want to sing that song. And you, you come into a community and you hear other voices and sometimes you just need to be sung to. You need to be reminded of something that you're forgetting or, or maybe it's not the main thing because something's going on in your life and it's become all-consuming but then you come to a community and they, they bring you back to the main thing. We sing to one another. We remind one another of the story that we're a part of, what God is doing in our lives, in our, in our midst. It doesn't matter the quality of your voice. I want to encourage you uh, not to hold back in your singing, not to rob other people of the gift that you can bring when we sing to one another. And obviously the second direction that Paul says uh, is to sing to the Lord, that we give a song to the Lord. Uh, and there's three types of songs that he refers to here. Uh, psalms, hymns, and songs. Uh, psalms are referring to uh, the historical songs uh, throughout uh, the church history, throughout Israel's history. You can find them uh, in the book of Psalms. And there's something powerful when you go and read in the book of Psalms. Uh, there are songs and words that have been sung from generation to generation to generation. Um, and I'm just flipping through uh, I'll just read some as I flip the pages. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And we could, uh, we could just flip. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with songs, I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Uh, I mean, these are just random psalms I just opened up to right now. Uh, when, you, when we open the psalms, we have song after song after song after song that followers of God have been singing together, speaking together throughout history. There's something powerful about that, that we in 2022 can go back and actually be worshiping with the same words that have formed God's people for 3,000 years. It's amazing. And so Paul's saying, when we get together, sing psalms. Be reminded that you're a part of a bigger picture that we are one part of a larger story. Sing hymns. And I know we, we think of hymns as, uh, you know, the old school thing that maybe if you grew up in church, maybe that's what you sang when you, when you grew up. Uh, but hymns, in this context, in this sense, uh, are modern songs. Uh, there was a time when the hymns that you think of are modern songs. I think Paul would refer to the songs that we sang this morning as hymns. They're songs that the community, uh, that the church community on the whole whether it's cities or nations or globally, are singing 
a similar song. And there's something powerful in that too, not just historically what God has been, uh, how people have worshiped God throughout history, but how people uh, are worshiping God in the moment beyond our geographical place. We are joining in the song of the church. We are joining in the song of God's people across cities, across provinces, across countries. You know, as you think of what's going on in the world today, there's something powerful in that, that when we come together, we are joining God's people across the world in hymns, in modern songs that have been written at a time such as this for the church on a whole. And then Paul refers to songs of the Spirit And there's lots of talk and commentaries of what this actually means, Uh, but most commentaries and most scholars agree that at bare minimum, what this means is that it's a, uh, some level of a spontaneous song or a local song, so that faith communities themselves would have songs that are unique to them, that other churches aren't singing. You know, I hope... uh, I hope again that Sun West would begin to write songs that we would sing as a community uh, because they're coming from within our community. And other churches might not be singing them. And maybe the other churches don't think they're that great. I don't really care. But it would be cool if we sang songs that were particular to our local context and our people, and they came from our people. Wouldn't that be neat? This is what Paul's referring to, that, there, that there's a level of worship that involves the Psalms. God's people throughout history. There's a level of worship that involves the hymns that we're joining other congregations around the world, around our country, singing similar songs. And then there's a level of worship and singing that involves things that are unique to us as a community. We know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And so our worship, the way that we sing, the way that we worship, uh, should be a reflection of that. The one who was, who is, and is to come. So, uh, that's singing. Part of why we get together, why we sing. This, the second one I want to talk about uh, is bowing and kneeling, uh, which I have a really hard do- time doing because I had Osgood Schlatter's disease, uh, and so, which just means I got puffiness in the knees. I can't stay on my knees for very long. Uh, but the Hebrew word for worship, when, when we read in the Old Testament, the word worship is the word shaka. Everybody say shaka. It's kind of like shaka khan. Um, Spelt with an S, though. Uh, It's used 170 times in the Bible, and this word literally means to bow down and kneel in worship, to become prostrate. So when you read the word worship, many times in your scriptures, it's referring to the physical posture of kneeling, of getting on your knees, of becoming prostrate before, uh, before God. We see a lot of reasons why people do this in scriptures. In Mark chapter 10, uh, we, we know this man is the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, and he says, as, it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was desperate. He was seeking. He came kneeling because he was asking, because he was searching, because he was longing for something. And so one reason why we get down on our knees is actually because we're seeking we're longing, we're asking God for something. And sometimes we don't know what to say or we don't know how to say it. We don't know how to demonstrate to God our heart postures and so we, we move to a physical posture that is one of longing, of seeking, of searching, one of desperation. And so that's one reason uh, why people have historically gotten on their knees before God as an act of worship. In Luke 
uh, 5, verse 8, it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Uh, Peter, the disciple Peter, in this moment, actually becomes aware of his sinfulness, aware of how he has broken shalom with God, with others, and he moves into this, this posture of repentance. And so this is the second reason why many people get on their knees. It's an act of acknowledging how we have fallen short. It's an act of acknowledging that God has a certain call in my life of how he wants me to live and I didn't meet it. And so I actually come in repentance and acknowledge I missed it. I'm acknowledging the holiness of God. I'm acknowledging how holy God is, how perfect he is, and yet how often I miss the mark. And it's a, it's a, it's a posture of humility. It's a posture of repentance. It's a posture of saying to God, I'm sorry I missed it. Thank you for your grace. Uh, Continue to fill me with your spirit. This is the act of repentance. Uh, so that's the second one. We can repent. Uh, third one is, is that it can, getting on our knees can act as a posture of surrender. Uh, I, I grew up with uh, three brothers or two brothers. There's three of us. And we often had wrestling matches, a lot of fists flying, headlocks going on. And uh, I don't know if any of you guys watch UFC. There's a test. I, I see like some very shy hands right now. Come on, with boldness. Anybody watch UFC fighting? A few people. Okay, there we go. Um, you know, I'm, theologically, I'm a pacifist, um, but practically, I'm really entertained by UFC. Uh, it's, you know, just watching two people just beat each other up. There's something about that. I know it, you know, you might not want to uh, come to this church anymore, but just to be honest, there's something, there's something about it. Uh, anyways, uh, so in UFC fighting, you know, they have something uh, called tapping out, right? They might be in a hold lock, and the guy taps them out. And what does this mean? It means I surrender. It means uh, done, you win, okay? And, uh, and we did the same thing. I, I grew up with two brothers, and we had our own UFC matches, and we, would, uh, we wouldn't tap out, but we would say uncle. Uh, that was like our former tapping out. Say uncle, or you had to say what other, whatever your brother was telling you to say. Say I'm your daddy, or whatever. Um, you just had to repeat do whatever they told you to do as a sign of tapping out, of, of surrendering. And I can remember, like, my older brother, like, being on my arms and, like, spitting, and he, spitting onto my face, you know, and, he, and they just spit it long enough to suck it back up. And they say, say, uncle, you know, and you're waiting for it. Say, uncle. Uh, he didn't always, he wasn't always able to gather it back up, uh, but... So anyways, you say, uncle, we tap out, we, we, we have these things in our culture in our world, uh, that signify uh, an act of surrender. You know, in war, it would be a white flag. Uh, in Luke 22, uh, in one of the most powerful stories in Jesus' life, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's battling with God the Father, and he's battling uh, the desire not to go to the cross, which we can understand. His will was not to go to the cross. Uh, and, and it's... Here's the account of it. It says, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching that place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, in this moment of turmoil, of wrestling, is having a battle of will and he chooses to submit to the Father's will. He chooses to, to tap out. He chooses to say, God, your will be done. Not my will, your will. Kneeling, bowing, 
when Jesus did it here and other times in Scripture, is a sign of surrender. It's a sign of saying to God, not my will be done, but your will be done. I'm going to get on my knees as a way of responding and saying yes, yes to what you want uh, to do with my life. Not my will be done, but yours be done. And the truth is that that surrender, that kneeling, is often what gives us the strength to stand in our lives. When we choose to kneel, it gives us the strength to stand. And the scriptures are clear, and particularly in Philippians 2, you can read it, that you can kneel now or you can kneel later, but eventually every single person will kneel because God is God. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. But it's our greatest joy, and it's to our greatest benefit to choose to kneel now, to choose that posture now, to choose surrender now. So it's bowing and kneeling. It's singing uh, singing songs together. Uh, now I want to focus on the third act of worship. The action that we do with our bodies uh, is uh, the raising of hands. And if you're new to church, maybe you're just starting to come, you've been a couple times, maybe this is your first Sunday, I don't know, and, and you walk in and you see some people raising their hands and you think, man, this is strange. Uh, what, is, what is that all about? Well, let me, I, I'm going to help you uh, Help you a little bit. So we're going to do a little experiment here. Uh, I'm going to invite you, if you're able, just to stand right now. Stand where you are. It's not just a monologue. This is, this is interactive here. If you're joining us at home, you can stand in your home too. Uh, I would encourage you to stand. And, uh, you know, some of us, we, we're here in worship, right? This is a nice, comfortable spot. I've been there many times. Um, everybody put your hands in your pockets. Uh, and I didn't come up with these. I, I borrowed these from a... There's a comedian named Tim Hawkins, so uh, he's helping us out right now. So we got hands in the pockets, and uh, so maybe this is you. I, I just want to help you figure out what your next step is uh, as you engage your body in worship. Uh, the next step would be uh, using your elbows, flapping your elbows. Just everybody do this a little bit. All right, yeah, just to the, there we go, kind of maybe sway back and forth, flap the elbows. There we go, next one, carry the TV, carry the TV. Everybody, carry the TV. Carry the TV. Bigger TV. Big screen TV. Carry the big, carry the big screen TV. Still, still moving. Still, still moving. Okay. Uh, the fish was this big. Everybody, the fish was this big. Fish was this big. And there's some of you liars out there who say, no, the fish was this big. Everybody go, everybody go this big. The fish, the fish was this big. And then there's the, and then from here we go to hold my baby. Everybody, hold my baby. Yes, yes, hold my baby. Uh, Mufasa, the Lion King, hold my baby. Uh, now we're, this is risky. We're going above our heads. This is, uh, th- this is tough. Uh, we go from here, we go to touchdown. Everybody do touchdown? Touchdown, number one. Have you guys seen this one? You're number one? Number one, yes, number one. Uh, high five, high five Jesus. Okay, we got this, uh, this is one of my personal favorites. You'll often see me doing this one. Uh, high five is a little bit of heartburn, right? This is, uh, I'll be honest, this is, this is one of my go-tos. Uh, when I'm worshiping, high five, a little bit of heartburn. Uh, and, then, and then we got the pageant girl. Some of you guys do this, yeah? Or other people call it the window washer. You know, you can even wash with two hands. Okay, now we're getting, uh, now we're getting crazy. Uh, for all the single ladies, you, you, put your, you put your non-ring, or you put your ring hand in the air, right? I love Jesus, but I also have room to love other people. Uh, 
And then there's the I robbed a bank. Everybody put I robbed a bank and I got caught. So uh, hands in there. All right, give yourselves a hand. Uh, you made it through. The, the steps to raising your hands, physical, engaging your body in worship. Uh, so on a more serious note, though, I, wanna, I want you to understand why these uh, postures actually are important, why they, why they mean something. In Psalm uh, 63, uh, and this is actually David, uh, he's kind of in a low place in his life. He's in, he's in, the, in the wilderness uh, at a very low point, and he writes this psalm, this historical psalm. Uh, he says, you, God, are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your glory uh, beheld your power and your glory, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will what? I will lift up my hands. So remember, this is a low, low point in David's life. He's running for his life. He's, he's in fear of his life, and he chooses to engage his lips in praise and song and, and, to, a, and to sing uh, the song, and he's he chooses to act upon that confession of his lips with his hands, with actions. He says, I will pra- I'll praise you as long as I live. Now remember that he's not in a great place personally, and so he's not saying, I choose to praise you because everything in my life is going really, really well. No, he's saying, I choose to praise you because I trust that you are good even though things are going like this. I'm not choosing to praise you because everything's going good. I'm actually choosing to praise you because you are good. And so our posture actually responds to the reality of who God is, not the reality of what's going on in our lives. Sometimes we, we, we think, um, I don't want to uh, be expressive because I'm not feeling it. We, we value authenticity uh, in our culture. We actually value authenticity at SunWest, but there's a little bit of a different nef- definition of authenticity. What does it mean to be truly authentic follower of Jesus? Does it mean to do everything that I feel like, or does it mean to actually trust in God's truth and reality more than what's going on in my world? I bring my whole being into alignment with the truth uh, that I profess to be true. That's what we call faith. I actually step forward in faith, and I'll be honest, there's many Sundays where I come in and I don't feel like singing a song. I don't feel like raising a hand, but I choose to do it because I believe in something beyond my feelings. I believe in something beyond my reality, and in some ways, when I choose to sing, when I choose to speak, when I choose to actually get my hands out of my pockets, it is bringing my body into alignment with what is actually true. And so I testify with my lips, with my song, but with my hands as well, even if, like David, I'm at a low point in my life and I don't feel like it, I choose to do it because I'm reminding my body at a particular point in time about what is ultimately true. In fact, I want to read to you a verse from the New Testament. Uh, Timothy uh, was a young pastor that Paul was mentoring, and Paul is giving Timothy instructions uh, about Christian worship. Uh, and he says this, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray. What does it say? Lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. And the word here for men um, is the word human. Uh, so uh, men and women. But uh, this verse had me reflecting as well that I often think it is men, particularly men that have the hardest time engaging in worship with their hands. And I, I don't know why that is. To be honest, I, th- I think often 
children and spouses are leading the way in worship before husbands and fathers are. Uh, and so I just want to encourage, as a father, as a husband, uh, to the men in our, uh, in our gathering, try not to let your wives and your kids out-worship you. I mean, I mean that in all seriousness. Lead, lead the way in worship. Lead the way in worship. Because your family often gets its cues from you. And so as we choose to worship uh, as, as husbands, as we choose to worship as parents, as we, uh, you know, whatever level of influence you have, as you choose to do that, you are giving permission to those around you who are watching you. So Paul's encouraging Timothy, get everybody everywhere, lifting up holy hands. And here's a bit of a confession for me. Um, I don't really care for babies. Um... I know some of you had babies in recent weeks and months, and you've brought them to me on Sunday. Hey, here's my new baby. Uh, and they're, I mean, they're fine. They're, they're cute. Uh, but I'll just be honest, all babies kind of look the same to me. Uh, you know, so you, I'm, I'm, let, I'm, let, I'm letting out of the bag here. So, you know, you, you learn the appropriate things to say. Oh, you know, they're, they're so cute. Uh, uh, you know, they really look like you. Um, you know, you, you say these types of things. But in all honesty, in my head, I'm like, it looks like the last baby I saw. And uh, they don't, they look, they look like everybody. I don't know. Uh, so me and babies, they're all kind of the same. Um, I, 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 don't get me wrong, I still want to meet your baby. Just don't be surprised if I'm not like over the moon excited about it. Uh, toddler, on the other hand, different story. You know, now they can talk back to you uh, in a good way, uh, maybe in a bad way. Uh, they can respond. They can throw a ball. Maybe they're crawling. Uh, they're starting to see personality. They're like, okay, now we can talk. You know, a toddler I can engage with. I, uh, there, there's something, uh, you know, about when your kids are toddlers, it just, uh, for me anyways, it, it was like a whole other level of fun and engagement. Um, you know, I felt like the first few months of my kids' lives, you know, it was just, you know, them and Lisa, and I was just kind of a spectator. But all of a sudden, they started growing and developing. Uh, and now as a dad, I was like, okay, here we go. Uh, and there's something about toddlers' interactions with you. Uh, and, and a particular one I can remember when my kids were little. Uh, and they don't do this as much anymore now that they're like 15 and 14 and whatever. Uh, but they would come up to me and they would put their hands up and ask me to lift them up. Uh, doesn't work for Joel anymore. I've tried to pick it up. It doesn't work. Uh, but when they were toddlers, they would come up to me. They would lift their hands up. And it doesn't matter how tired I was. It, it, it didn't matter... Uh, you know, what was going on in my life, there was something in me that I couldn't not respond to my kid when he came to me and said, Dad, I put his hands up, and I, you know, it was just like automatic. I would, I would scoop down and pick them up, and I would hold them. In fact, in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and what will he do? What does it say? He'll draw near to you. As we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And as we reach our hands up to God, you know, I believe, much like we as parents respond to a kid who puts, or kids who put their hands up, you, you almost can't be drawn in by that. God draws close to us as we reach up to him. And sometimes we can say, God, this is all I can do, but that's enough. As we respond to God physically, as we raise our hands towards them, he draws near to us. Um, and so why do we raise our hands? I believe uh, that God loves it. 
I believe that he, he likes it when his kids actually reach up to him and invite him to come close to them. Uh, secondly, it can also be an act of praise that uh, literally uh, we often think of, of, uh, of an offering as, you know, you give a financial offering when you come to church. I'm going to tithe. I'm going give, to give some money. I'm going to offer uh, money. And that's, that's great. That is an offering. But there's other types of offerings that Scripture talks about. And raising your hands is a form of an offering to God. In fact, in Psalm 141, it says, Oh, Lord, I'm calling you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening. What? As an evening offering. I love this. God, I'm calling on you. I love you. I need you. Accept this act. It's all I know how to do. It's all I can do. Accept this act as an offering to you. And I'm just going to give you a heads up as we close service today in a, just a few more minutes yet. Um, but I'm going to invite you to respond uh, with your hands, with raising your hands. And it may be a bit awkward. It may be brand new uh, for some of you. Uh, it may feel like you're pushing yourself outside of your com- comfort zone. But you just lift them up and you say, God, I'm offering my heart. I'm offering my life to you. I'm offering my praise to you. I'm reaching out to you. I'm drawing near to you. Would you draw near to me? Maybe you don't even feel like it, but you're actually choosing to align your body with the reality of God's kingdom and his good news. We lift our hands because God loves it. We lift our hands because it's an offering of praise. Uh, we, and thirdly, we also lift our hands because uh, it's a form of declaring battle. It's declaring battle, and we need God's help. Some of you right now, you may be going through a very challenging time in your life, maybe a real battle. Uh, It might be physical, it might be mental, it might be spiritual, it might be emotional, Uh, but you feel like you're in the middle of the battle, and maybe you feel like you're losing. Uh, And lifting up your hands is saying, I'm declaring battle, I'm recognizing that I'm in the middle of a war, Uh, and I recognize that I can't do this on my own, and I'm inviting God to do battle on my behalf. I'm inviting God to do battle with me and for me. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? And this is me actually surrendering to that truth that God is more powerful than I am and I'm dependent on him. In fact, I want to give you an example of this. In Exodus chapter 17, one of the most powerful examples we, we see in scripture of this, we see Moses commanding Joshua that they're going to go fight the Amalekites. Uh, and so gather some men together. Uh, you're going to go fight the Amalekites and I'm going to go up on the hill and I'm going to pray to God, raising my hands. Uh, and so this is the account in Exodus 7, 17. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So I want you to notice this. Winning. Losing. Winning, losing. When, their arms were lift, when, they, when the arms were lifted and they were recognizing God's sovereignty, God's power, when, when Moses brought his body into this alignment, God's people were winning. And here's the reality. Some of you right now, it feels like you're losing. And it's probably a battle. You're probably going through a battle that you can't win and fight on your own. But God's invitation to you is not to win it all by yourself, but actually to trust in him. 
Greater is the one who is in me than the one who is in the world. If God is for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me will prosper. This, these are promises of Scripture as we engage in battle with God. And what's interesting in verse 12 is whenever Moses' hands grew tired, they would start to fall, and, and we'll read what happened here. Uh, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, this is Aaron and her, and put it under him, and he sat on it, and then Aaron and her held up Moses' hands, one on one side, one on the other side, and so that his hands remained steady till sunset, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And so we do this uh, because we recognize we're in a battle and we're dependent on God. Uh, but we also recognize that we're not in a battle on our own. Moses needed Aaron and her. And in the same way, you can come to church and you can raise your hands, uh, but there, uh, or you can be at home and you can raise your hands, but something powerful come, happens when we come to church and we worship together. That's why coming to church matters, because we don't just worship God by ourselves. We worship God with others in, in the body of Christ. We corporately stand together, leaning on one another. I have errands and hers in my life uh, that raise my arms for me when I can't raise my arms myself, that are praying for me, that are encouraging me. I don't know how I get to, through certain seasons of my life without those errands and hers in my life. And so step one is learning how to just worship God and declare battle and trust in him. But step two is recognizing that even then, you need a community of fellow worshipers alongside of you to raise your hands even when you don't feel like you can. I have those in my life, and there's people that I am that for them. And so we get to be Aaron and hers for one another. And so we come together, and we encourage one another, and we build up one another, and we do battle together because... Uh, this is the human experience, that we are always in some kind of battle. On this side of heaven, we're always in some kind of battle. So you're in a battle right now, and it's time to declare, God, I need you. And, and, I, and think about this through history. What has raised hands signified throughout all of history? I alluded to it on the end of our little practice there. Uh, I robbed a bank, or sorry, I, that's the second one I'm going to do. The first one. <laughs> I robbed the bank, victory. Uh, no, uh, I got the order mixed up. Victory is the first one, right? So you win a, win a sports game, what's your automatic response? Woo, we won. When, when, I, when the Raptors won the championship in 2019, I think I did this for two straight days. Some of you remember those sermons from those days. It was like, does he talk about Jesus at all or just about the Raptors? Uh, I had my hands up like this. After two days, my hands were getting tired, and I had to get people around me. Come on, let's keep celebrating the Raptors. And so they had to hold up my hands. No, raising up your hands is a sign of victory. Uh, but it's also a sign of what? And I alluded to this as a sign of surrender. It means victory, and it means surrender. It means both of those things. And many times we think that those things are opposite. But guess what? In the presence of God, they both mean, uh, they both happen simultaneously. The moment that you surrender is the moment that you're victorious. And the moment that you surrender to him, you find victory in him. This is the irony of the gospel. If you want to find your life, lose your life. This is what Jesus says. Those that are going to lose their life, those that surrender life are the ones that are going to find true life. And so the moment that we surrender is the moment that we actually have victory in Christ. 
And so I'm going to invite you to stand uh, right now. And I'm going to encourage you, you know, whatever step you're at, it's okay. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to actually press beyond how you feel. Press beyond that thought in your head that says, "Uh, I don't know if I want to do this. Um, And just start to actually align your body with what the scriptures tell us is true. That God is God, that we are not. That he is powerful, that he is for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? And so we're going to sing. We're going to sing to one another. Uh, We're going to sing to God. Uh, And we're not only going to sing with our voices, we're actually going to align our beings with the reality of what we're singing that is true. If you want to bow, you can bow. But I would encourage you at least to, to take your hands out of your pockets, to raise your hands, and to align your whole body, your mind, your soul, your strength, your whole being under the truth of who God is and that we're responding to him together because of who he is and who we are. Oh, good job. Way to step out. Uh, I I don't know about you, but I I think there's something that changes in the physical realm when we actually respond to God with our bodies. As much as God speaks to our minds and speaks to our emotions, absolutely true, uh, but in our lives, outside of church and outside of uh, spirituality, we know that what you do with your body shapes who you become, and it's no different in our faith. I mean, many people, uh, they grew up believing in God their whole lives, but they, uh, they can wait decades before they actually respond to God with their bodies. I, I can remember uh, being a high school kid and actually, you know, doing this for the first time, and it, it felt so risky. I don't know why it did, uh, but there was something so freeing about it as I actually learned to uh, respond to God with my whole being. It shifts something in my heart. Yeah, even though it's physical, it actually changes something spiritually, emotionally, mentally within me. And so I want to encourage you. I mean, this is just the the beginning, but I want to encourage you as we continue to gather and worship, as you continue, as you go and worship throughout your week, uh, think about how you are actually bringing your body with you into worship. And I believe that as you draw near to God, you will sense that God is drawing near to you. He's meeting you where you're at because you're not just thinking about him intellectually. You're actually seeking him, pursuing him, declaring something about him with your whole being. I'm going to pray for you uh, now. And, and there's going to be prayer teams at the veil, available at the end of service. If, if you want prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. Uh, but let's respond uh, to God. And, and let's respond with our hands open like this. And often this is... Uh, This posture is not about the size of fish uh, that you caught. Uh, It is actually just a posture of receiving. Uh, And so often in in prayer, I'll open my palms up to God uh, as I'm waiting on him, as I'm listening for him to speak to me, as I'm I'm needing him to, to draw near to me for whatever is going on. This is a posture of receiving whatever the Lord has for me. It can also be a posture of releasing and giving God something that maybe you've been hanging on to. And so we give away and we receive. And so as we pray to close, I invite you to open your hands and maybe you have something you need to give back to God or give to God that you've, you're, you're holding on to, you're trying to control, and it's not yours to control, and you just need to release it and let go of it. Maybe you are needing something from God, and so you're opening your hands to say, uh, God, I am available for what you have for me. Not my will, but your be, will be done. 
Would you draw near to me as I draw near to you? So I invite you now to open your palms to the Lord. Let us pray together. God, we thank you that you created us as whole beings, body, mind, soul, spirit. Lord, we are not compartmentalized. Uh, Lord, forgive us for how we sometimes think that faith and belief is just uh, happening inside of us uh, when uh, you have actually called it, you had called us into action, that our worship uh, is to be with our whole bodies. And so, Lord, we open our hands to you right now uh, just as a posture of responding. Lord, there's some in this room that uh, are releasing things to you in this moment. Not just in their hearts, Lord, but physically they're releasing things to you that they've been hanging on to that you want to take from them. Lord, there's a weight they've been carrying. There's a bitterness they've been carrying. There's an unforgiveness they've been carrying. There's a, there's a control or a goal that they've been carrying. There's an addiction that's been hounding them, Lord. And, and so as we open our hands, Lord, we give these to you. We release them to you. Lord, we also open our hands to receive from you. Lord, we all need a touch from you. We all need a word from you. We need encouragement from you because, Lord, your words are better than life. They are life themselves. And so would you speak to us? Would you meet us? Would you lead us? Lord, we trust that your grace is sufficient for us. And so we say yes to your will. Lord, we receive what you have for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for coming this morning. Again, we'd love to pray for you. Have a great week. We'll, we'll be beginning our next series next week on Shalom with Self. We'll see you then. Thank mm-hmm. you.